did I ever date a sibling? Uh, did my children ever date uh, offspring of a sibling? What about my grandchildren? Uh, this is my big trouble. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 127. I will be bringing in my speaker right away at the beginning because he is going to be introducing a resource that I think will be very helpful to our community. And I have Peter here with me. Hi, Peter. Hi, Lily. How do you say your last name? Bonnie. Peter Bonnie. And you have a resource here that I think would be helpful. You have a book called Uprooted. Tell us a little bit about this book, whatever you want to share, and how you think it would be helpful to our misattributed parentage community. Sure. Well, it's Uprooted, uh, Family Trauma. Unknown Origins and the Secretive History of Artificial Insemination. And I got into uh, researching the daylights out of the assisted reproductive technology field in 1995 when I learned that I was donor conceived. And I did a deep dive of research into the sociological, the scientific, and the legal history and the evolution of uh, assisted reproductive technology, actually from biblical references right through to today. And I did this from the lens of somebody like me who was donor conceived. So it's a partial memoir, uh, mm. a deeply, I'll call it intimate memoir, and secondarily, a uh, tell-all expose on a industry that's uh, now a multi-billion dollar industry that seems to be totally devoid of any kind of regulation and out of control. Mm. Yeah, it really is. I just got done watching Our Father on Netflix. And I mean, it's just, it was chilling. And just the lack of regulation around this industry is startling to me. Thank you for putting all that research into your book. Sure. When I first got into researching this, Lily, I was sharing what I had found with a friend. And my friend was astounded. He said, you know, I used to read Rottweilers, uh, Pete. And uh, I'll tell you that there's more regulation around the breeding of puppies than there is the conceiving of the conception of human beings. Oh, that's terrible. And you you identify as a, a donor conceived person. Um, I'm not sure when you found how old you were when you found out. But is there? Um, I'll put a link to your book. Is there anything else we should know about this resource before we hear your story today? Well, I really uh, had hoped that this book serve a few purposes. Uh, first of all, uh, be a, a beacon of light to shine on an industry that uh, requires some degree of regulation. So I'm hopeful to impact positively the practice of assisted reproductive technology. 
uh, and to do so with the donor conceived in mind. And there's a lot of people out there that are misattributed for whatever the reason. And perhaps uh, this can also speak to the feelings of uh, and the well-being of a variety of misattributed people. Yeah. Yeah, really. Okay, Peter, let's hear your story today. How it usually goes is people start kind of at the beginning, telling us how their family of origin was, and then taking it from there into how they found out they were misattributed. So why don't you go ahead and and tell us a little bit about your family of origin? Sure. Uh, Thanks, Lily. Well, it was a, a loving childhood until I was 10 years old and in the fourth grade. Uh, my uh, dad, an immigrant uh, from, from a family of immigrant Northern Italians, was a loving guy. I never had any notion at all that I was not his biological son. He never gave me any of that inclination. Uh, but we moved in uh, my fourth grade year uh, to Chicago from Boston. We shed our suburban house, and my father... Uh, was uh, ambitious and uh, seeking some uh, additional opportunities. So we moved to Chicago. He had a job opportunity in the defense field. Now, when he was a younger man, uh, he had suffered from bouts of unipolar depression, but he always seemed to be able to shake those off. And he could shake those off until he got a little older, and then he just couldn't. Uh, so from my fourth grade year on, there was a lot of moving uh, and disruption. I was in 11 different schools between the fourth and the uh, ninth grade uh, in several states. I uh, got my mother to move back to uh, Massachusetts where he had a loving family. And I thought perhaps that uh, loving family would be the support that he would need to try to get over this illness. Uh, well, old school Italians uh, treated uh, mental illness as a flaw and uh, they didn't want to have that affiliated to, to them, associated to them. So there was a lot of denial and a lot of abandonment that I felt uh, over the years. Uh, by the time I turned 16, my father just had enough and took his own life. Uh, so that was also treated as a, uh, a flaw uh, by the Italians in the, in the family, uh, don't let anyone know about it. Don't talk about it. It's shameful. Uh, so I had perhaps at his funeral, a, uh, I call it my uh, Scarlet O'Hara moment, where I looked up into the sky and said something like, if God is my witness, I'm going to get over this and uh, I'll never be uh, uh, flawed or inadequate again. I sort of overcompensated with a crusty veneer to be invulnerable and strong uh, just like I wanted my father to be, but he was sick and he couldn't be. Uh, and I had maybe overcompensated in that regard. But my behavior was uh, adaptive uh, as a result of all of the uh, disruption. By the time I had uh, graduated from high school, I had a good scholarship and went off to a fine state university uh, and got a great education. It opened many doors of opportunity for me. Uh, But at the outset of uh, college graduation, there was a war raging, and I found myself in the Army. And as opposed to letting some stupid lieutenant kill me, I figured I would be the super lieutenant, went to officer's candidate school, and further uh, was trained as a special operations infantry officer. Uh, 
and that combat experience honed my collaborative leadership style. So I always took those three things uh, for uh, the reason I became the person that I had become. Uh, and I took my DNA for granted. Uh, but what about my DNA? You know, I learned in uh, 1995 when my mother was 75 and I was 49 years old as a high-tech CEO in Boston. I, she had a, uh, a post-operative stroke and all of the chains that guarded that secret no longer work. So uh, the, the secret got spilled that uh, I was uh, donor conceived. Your mother told you. Well, actually, my mother was in a rehab center recounting the story to several visitors, but she never told me directly. I had my wife tell me directly. And uh, when I finally got my mother home from the uh, rehab center, uh, I talked to her about this. And at first, uh, she refuted it. She said, oh, no, that's not right. Uh, I must have been delusional. And it took me a while to get her to come around to tell me the truth. The truth was that after five years of marriage and uh, uh, no children, she saw an advertisement or uh, a uh, an article in a newspaper or a magazine, she could not recall which, uh, that talked about a doctor and a fertility clinic uh, affiliated with Harvard Medical School. So they uh, had gone to this fertility clinic and this particular uh, doctor uh, who uh, tested and diagnosed my dad as sterile. And gave them a few choices. You can remain childless, one, adopt a child, number two, or do this newfangled thing that we have uh, through uh, insemination by an anonymous sperm donor. And he told my parents that he would be affiliated with Harvard Medical School in some way, shape, or form. He knew my dad and would find an appropriate match. Did you have any siblings? No, I was raised as an only child. So when you found out, um, well, your wife, when she found out and told you, what what did you do then? What did you do with that information? Well, there was a, a rush of emotions, uh, Lily. I mean, I was, and it was confusing emotions. Uh, how can you feel relieved and deceived and uh, happy and sad uh, and, and grief and fulfillment all at the same time? I mean, I had... Uh, I was relieved because I was fearful that I was carrying a a flawed gene, my dad's depression, his mental illness. And if I didn't get that, perhaps that would spill over to my offspring. So I was concerned about that. Uh, But I was 49 years old when I had learned this, and I had made some decisions about my life based upon a a willful lie. So I was rather angry about it at, at the same time as I was relieved, but my birth certificate was a fraud. And I asked myself, gosh, was I a fraud? I studied psychology in in college, and I remember a lesson about genealogical bewilderment. Uh, Two psychologists studied adoptees and some uh, uh, issues that adoptees had with a sense of belonging and this rage of uh, bewilderment in terms of their actual genealogy. And I was not adopted. I think in the old days they called donor insemination semi-adoption. 
but I was raging with that geneal genealogical bewilderment, Lily. I was wanting and needing to know what was my genealogy. If I wasn't Northern Italian, what was I? What was my genealogical health history? And having been raised as an only child, I asked, gosh, do I have any siblings? Now, my mother gave me a few clues, the name of the doctor, the location of the clinic. Uh, well, the fact is that her memory is a little fuzzy, and she misremembered the name of the doctor, and she misremembered the location of the clinic. And there were no records kept anyway, so I was uh, looking for clues that did not exist. My only recourse that I found somewhat therapeutically was to do a deep dive of research into the uh, history, the sociological, the uh, scientific, and the legal history of assisted reproductive technology. And remember, this was in 1995. Uh, the internet was really in its infancy. Google was three years away from being founded. <laughs> and DNA analysis was 12 years away from 23andMe introducing it for the very first time. So I basically did the old gumshoe techniques of research uh, between the Boston Public Library and the Harvard uh, Library of Medical History at, at Harvard University. Mm. You had to go do your own research you had to, <laughs> on assisted reproductive technology. Exactly. And I, I once again, I looked at it from biblical references right through to today. Did that give you, because I, I, I'm just thinking of my own experience, did that give you some comfort in, in having an action, in being able to research something, do something? Uh, from a personality standpoint, I needed to do something. I, I, I'm not uh, uh, results-oriented in that regard, so I, I couldn't just uh, sit by and uh, say, okay, well, I, I'll never know this. I had to do something. So uh, it was fulfilling and I felt as though I was empowered at that moment in time. Yeah. 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 Information is, is so powerful. And, and is that when you started collecting data for your book? No, the book idea came about in two waves, uh, Lily. I mentioned that I had talked to a friend about what I learned about the industry and his puppy analogy. And I thought, well, someday this will be a, a thought-provoking book. But it wasn't until I discovered the source of my seed, uh, the source of that anonymous sperm donation, that I felt that my story was complete enough that I could actually put it in a book. And that didn't happen until 2017. What did you do, since you didn't have 23andMe, and you had what little information you had from your mother, what did you do back then in the late 90s, early 2000s for finding information about your biological family? Well, I, I, I could not find any information. That's the short story. I was uh, researching on brick walls and not finding anything to penetrate. So there, there was uh, a, a rage of that genealogical bewilderment inside of me. And uh, I just continued to do the deep dive of research on that industry. It wasn't until 2007 that 23andMe uh, introduced their first product offering, that DNA analysis over the internet. And Time Magazine 
declared 23andMe the innovation of the year in 2007. In early 2008, I became one of the uh, lunatic fringe, the early customers of 23andMe. Uh, in, in high technology, we say oftentimes that the early early stage users are the lunatic fringe, and I was among those lunatics. <laughs> you know, uh, in uh, in technology terms, today we have the power of a mainframe computer in the palm of our hand uh, for under a thousand dollars. The 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 cell phone or the smart the smartphone, uh, but a Mainframe computer used to be a million dollars. Now it's uh, the power for under a thousand dollars. Well, I paid. How much do you think for Twenty Three and Me at the opening in two thousand eight? Ooh, well, it's only like it's maybe one twenty now, one fifty, probably four hundred, five, four hundred, five hundred. I don't know. Nine hundred and ninety nine dollars list price. Oh my gosh! And now list price is $99 and you can get a Black Friday sale for $49. So just like just like the million dollar computer is $1000 today, the $999 uh test is uh, is under $100. Oh my gosh, do you remember? Oh, I'm I'm assuming you did. Do you remember what your what kind of results 23 and me gave you back then? Well, I got the what. I didn't get the who. Uh, I, so I wasn't Northern Italian. I was uh, on my paternal side. I was English, French, and a sliver of Scandinavian. Well, okay, I can live with that. But I never found the who. I could not find a paternal relative on the 23andMe site. And I thought, well, I'll just wait uh, because they continue to add customers to that database. And eventually a paternal relative will show up and then I'll have the pathway to find the source of my seed. Now, nine years later, I still found no paternal relative of any consequence. Uh, but by then, uh, Ancestry.com had entered the field. Actually, they entered it in 2012 uh, with their uh, DNA analysis to supplement their family tree tools. And by 2017, my uh, now grown children, my son and daughter, came to me and said, "You know, Dad, you're uh, you're not being fulfilled with your reliance on 23andMe only. Take a look at Ancestry.com." So for $99, I did the Ancestry.com test and waited my requisite two months for the analysis to come out. And I found a close relative, it said first cousin, with a question mark. Uh, so I had my, my first clue of my paternal seed through Ancestry.com nine years after my first test in 2008 with 23andMe. Mm. Did you reach out to them? I did. And uh, I, I really cover this in a great deal of uh, depth in my book. Uh, but after 22 years of research to discover my origins with false clues and uh, pre-internet and pre-DNA analysis, I did finally discover the source of my seed and uh, the link to Harvard Medical School and also discovered the uh, the doctor and his clinic all at the same time. So now I uh, my, my three questions 
rage, what was my genealogy? What was my health history? And did I have any siblings? Uh, now, my primary question that's unanswered because I've answered the other three is how many siblings do I have really? Uh, I, I don't really know. I'm, I'm one of six at last count. Two are the donor's natural children, and uh, four, I believe, are from uh, uh, artificial insemination by the by him as an anonymous uh, sperm donor. But I have no idea how many times he did uh, donate, in quotes, donate for uh, then $25. Oh, my. In, in 1945. Uh, $25 in 1945, you could get a five-star hotel room in New York City for $3 back then. So that was worth about $800 in today's money. Oh, really? And that's what he got, or is that what your mom paid? Uh, he got $25, and uh, the doctor passed it through, uh, so she paid uh, the $25. Yeah, and you just, I mean... You just have no idea unless one of your half siblings have or one of their family members have actually taken a DNA test and they're in the database, right? You wouldn't necessarily know how many half siblings you have out there. No, no, I just don't know. And now I'm not part of the frozen sperm generation, Lily. And my parents' fertility specialist was ethical, so he wasn't using his own sperm on a countless number of patients. So I'm not likely to have a hundred or more. Okay. okay. Uh, but my only question is how many do I have really? Uh, did I ever date a sibling? Uh, did my children ever date uh, offspring of a sibling? What about my grandchildren? Uh, this is my big trouble. And my big issue with the, this industry that uh, enables the conception of uh, dozens, if not a hundred or more of human beings from the same donor with nobody's knowledge, with no testing, uh, no uh, health history, uh, no registry uh, to identify those siblings to one another, no counseling uh, for either the donor or the recipient regarding the needs of the donor-conceived child. And no legislation, no law that actually penalizes blatant fertility fraud. I mean, some things are right and some things are wrong. This is just flat out wrong. It's so wrong. So there's still no regulation in the United States about how many times someone can donate? There's no law. The... Uh, the uh, Trade Association, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, uh, gives guidelines, but they're guidelines and they're not laws. And let's talk about that guideline. The uh, ASRM has a guideline of 800 for an 800,000 population city, no more than uh, 25 uh, donations per 800,000. So what that means is that if I lived in, let's say, Sacramento, California, I'd have 25 siblings. If mm. I lived in metropolitan Boston, using that guideline, I'd have 125 siblings. 
well, how about, Lily, if I lived in uh, New York City or Los Angeles? Using that guideline, I'd have 250 siblings. And that's per sperm bank if they followed that guideline. Well, there's no regulation that prevents a donor from going to several sperm banks. So if I went to four sperm banks in New York City and follow that guideline, I could have a thousand siblings. So there's, there's no law restricting the number of pregnancies or the number of donor-conceived children per donor. That's frightening. Did you ever find your biological father? I found the source of my seed, yes. I, uh, I, he was uh, passed by the time I uh, d- uh, identified him, but I did identify him. And I identified a health history that was uh, solid. I you know, have a good genealogy and uh, identified his, uh, his two offspring, but uh, I don't know how many came about from the uh, donors, donations that he made. Do you have a relationship with your half-siblings? Actually, with two of them, I do. Uh, two uh, sisters, not, not bad for an only child to have a relationship with two sisters. One is, is uh, the donor's natural uh, offspring, and the other one was a woman who was uh, five months younger than I, uh, living in the same general area, almost went to the same college as me, but not quite. Oh, oh boy. Uh, and uh, she didn't know until uh, she was 75 when I told her <laughs> that she was donor conceived and who the donor was, she learned in 22 hours what it took me 22 years to learn. Oh. Well, I wonder why your parents didn't tell you or, or your half sister that you guys were donor conceived. The sociology at the time was uh, church and state just drove it underground. Lily, uh, the, uh, the, the church, uh, totally uh, disenfranchised the practice, uh, legal community disenfranchised the practice. Uh, actually, what, a, a telltale, a real telltale story, really, is a article in Time magazine that I surfaced at the time of my conception in February of 1945, and it was in the legal section of the uh, Time magazine. And they were discussing the legal status of a donor-conceived child due to a court case that was in the Superior Court of Illinois, where a uh, a husband was granted a divorce on the grounds of adultery because of a donor-conceived child, and the child was declared illegitimate. Now, the title of that article, Lily, what do you think that title was? Hmm. How about artificial bastards with a question mark? Oh, gosh. So that was very telling. So church and state just drove the whole assisted reproductive technology industry underground in a cloak of secrecy. Do you think children should be told now when they're donor conceived? All of the research that has been done uh, states unequivocally that a child, if he or she knows the uh, genealogy and the story on the front end, it becomes part of his woodwork 
and the the adjustment is uh, just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the uh, it's the trauma, it's the identity trauma of a late discovery that creates the uh, emotional issues. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, uh, I, I sought some therapy uh, at the uh, behest of my family. I was so uh, uh, raging with uh, trauma over this. And I had interviewed a couple of different therapists or cycled through a couple of therapists before I found the right one that really dealt with the trauma. Uh, and he told me, uh, son, you hit a trifecta uh, because new trauma oftentimes rekindles old trauma that you thought had long passed. So my disruptive childhood, uh, that feeling of uh, abandonment from my dad's family, uh, the uh, feeling of being flawed and inadequate uh, was part of my issue, and some lingering PTSD from combat in Vietnam uh, took its toll as well. So all of that resurfaced. So instead of treating one piece of trauma, that was my trifecta, I needed to deal with all three. I was a toughest work I ever did in my life. And, you know, at that time, at the time of discovery in 1995, uh, I was going through a marital crisis at the same time. So I was going through personal therapy and marital therapy all at the same time. You found yourself a therapist even back then. Are you are you still in any form of or ther- therapy or have you found any other sort of therapeutic tools useful? No, I'm not in therapy at the, at the moment. I, I really feel as though I've uh, resolved a lot of issues that I had. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm far less imperfect today, uh, and I'm flawed as a human condition. But the whole process actually helped me save my marriage as well. So it was a benefit. And I have a question kind of going back about your, I guess, let's see here. It would be your biological father's natural so it's one of your half siblings the half sister who is his natural child um did she know that her dad had other children out there or were you kind of a a surprise a shock to her total surprise total surprise and i got really lucky i mean she was a home run in that uh, she embraced uh, my story and, and uh champion finding the source of my seed in her family tree, uh, only to discover that it was her father. Uh, but she em- she embraced me. Uh, there are other stories out there where uh, uh, that's not the case, and people get stonewalled, but I, I got embraced. And any question that I needed to have answered, uh, she helped answer. So that was really a home run. Oh, that's so nice that she she embraced you and you were able to get the information that you needed. Now, three years went by and uh, there was no new siblings showing up on any DNA site. And uh, just last year, there was a flurry of activity uh, with the others that had showed up. So she was a little uh, taken uh, aback as well that I was not a one-shot deal and there were others out there. And there might be more. We don't know, do we? So every uh, every February in the donor conceived community, Lily, they half jokingly call that new sibling season. 
the Black Friday sales, $49, or stocking stuffers from uh, the DNA sites. Uh, Two million people get signed up to add to the customer base during that Black Friday period of time. You add eight weeks of processing to that, and then you have February, a new database, two million people. Uh, and how many of those are, are uh, siblings? Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so hence, new sibling season. Well, I, I never uh, knew the, the initials NPE or non-parental event and never heard the word misattributed until I started researching this. Uh, misattributed, I, I know other miswords, you know, misconceived, misnomer, misunderstood, but never misattributed, meaning that your DNA and your birth certificate just don't jive. Something is askew. And the experts uh, believe that some 2 to 4% of us are misattributed. Some believe it's much higher than that. Uh, some think it's a little lower than that, but how much lower than 2% are you going to get? Uh, so uh, 2 to 4% is a good talking point uh, at any rate. So with 50 million people in the DNA databases today, 2 to 4% is a pretty big number. How, how many are currently in the database? Did you say 50, 5, 0? 5, 0 million, yes. Oh, my gosh. I was still going off old data of like 30 million. That's old. Well, this is a worldwide number, not just the uh, uh, Ancestry.com and 23andMe United States number. There are five uh, vendors, uh, Ancestry and 23andMe, the two largest. So in my, in my high school graduating class of uh, 100, uh, using that 2 to 4% number, then 2 to 4 of us, are misattributed. I know I'm one of them. <laughs> and two others have come to me to say, uh, uh, Peter, we're having a little difficulty understanding our DNA results. Uh, can you help us out? And I uh, helped them uh, understand that they were not who they thought they were either, or from the product that they thought they were either. And I think there's one more out there. So uh, uh, my experience then is that two to four percent number is valid in my own personal high school class. Uh, let, let's take that uh, out a few generations. If that two to four percent number holds, you have how many parents, Lily? Two. Two parents. You have how many grandparents? Four. And then eight great-grandparents. And the number becomes exponential and almost geometric in proportion. So. I could say that in my entire high school graduating class, every single one of them, all 100, are misattributed up to their third to sixth great-grandparent. One of, one of those great-grandparents isn't necessarily uh, DNA-related. Now, is that because of an extramarital affair? or a uh, one-night stand, or a sexual assault, uh, unreported sexual assault? Was, was somebody switched at birth? Was somebody raised by Aunt Mary, and they thought Aunt Mary was mom, but really cousin cousin Ber Bertha was mom, uh, raised by another family member? That still happens in families today. Uh, but it was only since the, the uh, 20th century that uh, the uh, donor insemination or artificial insemination by an anonymous donor came to be. And experts believe now that there's some 1 million adults that are donor conceived, 1 million adults as of 2010. And that number 
has uh, increased some 30 to 60,000 in the estimates every year for the last uh, 10 years. So if I use the midpoint of that, that says that there are 1.5 million donor-conceived people out there, and that's a 50% increase in the last decade. And that's in an industry that's totally out of control. Yeah. Now, in my research, here's what really got me. Uh, it, it's not so much a gamut donation anymore, uh, the uh, a sperm bank, uh, now an egg bank, and a, uh, a, an embryo and uh, the frozen uh, component of that. Uh, it's gone off the rails in uh, social media style fashion. You can uh, get on a website, you can find a, a, a sperm donor or an egg donor. Uh, can you imagine getting a sperm donor on Craigslist as an example? Oh, oh no. Uh, so I, devoid of any kind of regulation and the uh, not lawful to sell sperm today. So, or, or an egg today, you can get a service fee and travel expenses. So totally off the rails in Wild West fashion. It's frightening. No requirement for testing, no restrictions to the numbers, no identification, no anything. So you started your book sometime after 2017. Yeah, I had all the research and I took all the notes, but I started a draft in, uh, in 2017. When did it come out? This year? Uh, yes, it was introduced and uh, launched in April. I'm sorry, in, uh, in January of 2022. Are people just like blown away by how the 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 donor conceived industry is being run right now? Yeah, well, it's it's all about the money. You know, it's multi billion dollars today, multi billion billion dollars today. We have the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission and the uh, Federal Drug Administration and the Alcohol and Tobacco. Uh, organization, the uh, Federal Communications Commission, all the things serving the public good, recognizing that industries don't police themselves particularly well. Well, here we have an industry self-policed and not policing itself particularly well, uh, but no regulation uh, on it at all. Uh, There's a patchwork quilt, uh, Lily, of uh, activity, activist activity on a state-by-state-by-state-by-state basis, uh, taking one piece or another of what I call a donor-conceived bill of rights uh, to the to the uh, state legislature. And that's begun to gain some traction, but that's on a state-by-state-by-state basis. And pieces and parts of uh, the donor-conceived bill of rights, whether it be anonymity or uh, restriction on the numbers of uh, uh, donor-conceived people per donor or what have you. But there's no federal mandate, no federal legislation in place uh, at this moment in time. So what I'm doing is uh, taking proceeds uh, from my earnings in this book and donating it to uh, the ad- advocacy organizations that are working to help make this a, uh, a legal mandate some mm-hmm. give it some degree of legislative oversight. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. 
And I guess even the, I've mentioned this before, but even the use of donor isn't the right term because it is a for sale. It is a, like you just said, a profit for profit industry. It's a for-profit industry, and the, in quotes, donor got, got compensated, handsomely compensated, uh, for uh, the, uh, the gamut. And I'm assuming your father was a, a medical student, a doctor. Just I know that's where they used to get a lot of their sperm donation back then. I really expected that uh, he would be. And when I went to Harvard Medical School, I uh, took the names of Every graduate from 1945 through 1948, and I figured in that list of names is the source of my seed. And I found uh, that the source of my seed was actually uh, more loosely affiliated with the Harvard than that, uh, but nonetheless had some affiliation with Harvard. And I went, went, went over that in detail in my book. And B.F. Skinner is in the mix as well. And who is that? B.F. Skinner, the famous uh, scientist, the behavioral scientist at Harvard. I found that, I found that my, uh, my uh, fertility specialist was actually a, a colleague of B.F. Skinner at Harvard Medical School. Oh, wow. I always considered myself, uh, Lily, to be a, uh, I'll say, now a retired business, ex- business executive, uh, former CEO and a venture capitalist. Uh, certainly I'm a loving grandfather, uh, but uh, and a combat veteran. Uh, but Mark Twain said a long time ago something like the two most important days of your life, the day you were born and the day you figured out why. Uh, so today I really consider myself an author and an activist for the rights of the donor conceived. And uh, that is uh, my book, Uprooted Family Trauma, Unknown Origins, and the Secretive History of Artificial Insemination. You can find that on my website, www.peterjbonnie.com, and that'll direct you to uh, either Amazon or a variety of other sources uh, to find the book. Thank you so much for writing that book. I'll put those links in the show description. And thank you for sharing your story and all these um, amazing facts today about about the donor conceived world i i will be reading this book um fascinating i know you have so much more in the book that we didn't get to today but thank you peter for coming on today and sharing your story well you're welcome lily and thanks for the opportunity to uh, to uh, share that story with you these stories are here for us to identify with if you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.